Amen. Good evening. We are here at Bible Study. It's good to see you all. And the food was good on Sunday. Had a nice time. Had a nice fellowship meal on Sunday. So, uh, can't wait to see what Mary has in store for next month. So, uh, tonight we're in Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. We make it to the 12th chapter. Uh, but we're mainly going to look at the 11th chapter tonight. Uh, the theme of this chapter is loyalty to God, basically. Um, serving him and being loyal uh, to him so a loyalty to God is the key to possessing the promised land and um, if you've been reading along with me uh, today was Judges the first chapter if you, if you started that and if you saw the first chapter you will see if you, if you read Judges 1 today you would have read that um, Israel did not completely defeat uh, the Canaanites. Uh, they did not completely subdue them. So uh, they did not follow all that Joshua had commanded them to do. And they didn't drive out all the inhabitants, uh, inhabitants of the land uh, that God had commanded them to do. Uh, the various tribes didn't. And that's what we see in um, Judges. So. As I said, we're reading ahead doing our, our daily reading. Then our Bible study is, is in Deuteronomy. So you're seeing what God commanded them to do in the promised land. But then when you're reading ahead to especially judges, and we're going to see, you'll see that as you read through, you're going to see, wow, they did not do what the Lord had commanded them to do. So so we're looking back and looking ahead, you know, at the same time. That's why I'm glad that we're, we're, we're kind of doing both. So tonight we're going to look at chapter 11. And again, the theme is loyalty to the Lord, loving and serving him and the blessings that come from that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the call and command to be loyal to you, to obey your commandments. Lord, I pray that you bless our time in your word tonight. Thank you for those who are gathered here and those who are watching and those who will perhaps listen to the podcast. Just refresh us by your word. Uh, this middle of the week encourage us strengthen us by your spirit uh, convict sinners and bring them to repentance and Lord just may we have a sweet time in your word tonight in Christ's name amen so chapter 11 picks up uh, after chapter 10 where uh, you know the first two tablets that were broken God had replaced them in chapter 10 and gave them two new tablets of uh, of stone and then God called on them to circumcise their hearts, the foreskin of their hearts. Uh, we find that in 10 and 16. And don't be stiff-necked and stubborn anymore because remember last week we covered chapters 9 and 10 where God had recalled their stubbornness in the wilderness when they, uh, you know, made the golden calf. And that was them being stubborn and stiff-necked against the Lord. And God had, of course, punished them, but God had mercy on them because Moses had interceded so the Lord was reminding them of that not to be stubborn and so the covenant was basically reestablished so now God issues a challenge to them so we're going to read the first we're going to do this section by section like we did the last time so beginning at verse 1 it says and I'm reading from the ESV translation it says you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge his statutes his rules and his commandments always and consider today since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it consider the discipline of the Lord your God his greatness his mighty hand and his outstretched arm his signs and his deeds he did in Egypt to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and to all his land and what he did to the army of Egypt to their horses and to their chariots how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, how the Lord had destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened his mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he 
dead. So he opens up here by giving them a charge. And a charge is basically like an obligation or a a commission. They're being commissioned to do something. It is a it is a duty. So what God does here in the opening part of this chapter is he assigns a duty in connection with the covenant that he makes with his people. So there are a few words in here that we see. We see statues, we see rules, and we see uh, commands. So what is the difference here? Uh, statutes are basically uh, a decree. So whatever God decrees or whatever God prescribes for them to do, that is called a, a statute. And the word statute means to cut or to etch in stone. And that's what the word statute uh, means. Like God did with the Ten Commandments. He cut them into, into stone, into two, two tablets of, of stone. So statutes are like executive orders, you know, like, uh, like presidents have the power of authority to, do, to, to issue uh, executive orders. And then you have rules, his statutes and his rules. So rules speak of uh, the act of, of, of deciding like ruling on a court case or or something like that. Um, they're, they're not voted on like a jury does, but they are decreed. So God decrees something, he says something, and it becomes a, a rule. And of course, you know commands. Commands are uh, instructions. Okay, so commands are instructions. Uh, basically, they're imperatives. An imperative has an authority, and a uh, subordinate. The subordinate is the person that's under the authority. So like on your job, you have certain commands, things that you must do on your job or must not do. Those commands come from an authority figure, whether it's your manager or the company, and they flow downward to the subordinate. Subordinates are those who work under uh, authority, subordinate. So that's that's the, the feeling that uh, commands get. Now, commandments also statements that must be obeyed. That's what makes it a commandment. You do it. It's an imperative. Uh, it behooves you uh, to, to, to do it. So that's, that's what makes a command different. It, it is something that you are being told that you must do. Um, the psalmist, psalmist in Psalm 33 and 9 says of God, how God uh, commanded creation. The psalmist in Psalm 33 and 9 said, For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. If you look at the Genesis account, God said, Let there be light. And guess what? Light appeared. So that was a command. He was commanding creation to, to do something. And what did creation do? Creation obeyed. Because God is the God of creation. He is over creation. Creation is subordinate to God. So that's what we get with uh, the commands. And so now, what does he say do? He says, keep his charge. Excuse me, we're still in the first verse. Keep means basically to watch over, to observe, and to correct. I'm sorry, and to protect. So you're keeping God's statutes, his rules, and his commands. We are doing what? Watching over them. We are observing them. And observing doesn't mean like to just look at and say, hmm. No, observing means you, you do them. You're, you're careful to observe them. You're careful to do them. And you're also to protect them. You're to, you're to guard them. Guard them, with your, guard them with your heart. Guard them with your life. In other words, you, you cherish them. You, excuse me, you nurture them. You nourish them in your, in your hearts. So it says, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his rules, and his commandments. How often? It says always. Always. So we have to always do that. Then it says here, it gets into attributes of God. It says, verse 2, and consider today or know this day. He says, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen. So he's talking to the current generation consider the discipline of the Lord your God his greatness his mighty hand and his outstretched arm so here we see 
the attributes of God are being extolled or being praised. What is being praised here about God? The discipline of the Lord, how the, how the Lord disciplines his people. That is an attribute of God, the God who disciplines. Remember, discipline is never punitive. It's not meant to punish us. You know, we always have to remind ourselves that God doesn't punish believers. Christ was punished for us. So we're not punished, but we are disciplined. Just like a parent disciplines their child. Discipline is a form of correction. Uh, God disciplines us on the trial. So that is an attribute of God. He, he performs that. And we know he disciplined Israel in the wilderness. Not only it shows discipline, but also he says his greatness that God is great. That means he's greater than everything. He's transcendent. That's what we think of when we think of God being great. That he transcends over, over all. Okay. So greatness is an attribute of God. God is greater than anything or anyone. He's greater than the most majestic mountains on this earth. He's greater than the most honored person in the world. Whoever that may be. God is greater than all of them. He he supersedes. He is above. That is a superlative. And not only his greatness, but also his what? Mighty hand. And his outstretched arm. When he talks about the outstretched arm, he's talking about uh, when, when, when seeing the mighty works of God, especially in the wilderness, because that's what the writer talks about here. Okay? So we know God is great. He's mighty. And he has an outstretched arm. That means he is he is delivering his people. He is leading his people. He is shepherding his people. He is doing mighty works among his people. I think it's Jeremiah 17 and 6. Jeremiah says, Our Lord God, you have made the heaven and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. And uh, nothing is too difficult for the, I think that's Jeremiah's, we used to sing a song like that in the old uh, church I went to. Um, I think it's Jeremiah 17. Let me see. I think it's Jeremiah 17-ish. I may have to Google it, but I think it's 17. Well, let me see. Not 17, it's 6. Let me see. I think it's in chapter 17. I mean, this is real time right here. Our Lord God. Yep, thou has made the heavens. That's, uh, we used to sing that song. My thy, thy great power and thy outstretched arms. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 32 and 17. Okay, so I had the verse right, just the wrong chapter. Jeremiah 32 and 17. That's it. So we sung, this is an old Pentecostal song that uh, we sing, Jeremiah 32 and 17. Yep, nothing is too hard for you. So the King James says, nothing is too difficult for thee. So Jeremiah 32 and 17, the ESV says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And that was, uh, um, I mean, we sing that song in our church. I'm just thinking about it right now. Uh, one of the sisters in the church used to get up and start singing that song. And uh, it's, it's bringing a smile to her face just thinking about it. But anyway, outstretched arm, that means God's mighty works. And so, Moses is calling Israel to serve this God to consider. So we're considering that he's, he's telling them to consider the attributes of God, to, to think about the attributes of God, to meditate on what his greatness, his discipline, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. Then his spirit uh, goes to verse three, his signs and his deed that he did in Egypt. So he's calling them to consider, to to ponder, to think about, to meditate on. And as believers, 
you know, uh, principally here, this is what we're called to do also. We're, we're to, to meditate on the work of Christ, meditate on what Christ has done for us in saving us, in providing a way for us to be saved from our sins, which is, which is man's greatest need. We need to consider that sometimes, the, 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 the greatness of Christ, the greatness of what he came to do, his mighty uh, hand in defeating Satan and defeating death and, and, and crushing Satan under his heel as was promised uh, in the garden in Genesis 3. That he would crush Satan. That Jesus crushed death. He took the fear of death away. He took the bondage of sin away from all those who believe in him. That's, that's a great and mighty work. And so we are to consider the greatness of Christ, the greatness in his work, the greatness of his glory, the greatness of the salvation that we have in him, the fact that we are one with Christ. We are, we are uh, heirs, we're co-heirs with Christ. So we consider that we meditate on it, we think about it, we thank God for it, we praise him for it, and we obey God because of that so that's what uh, Moses is calling them to do and that is what God is calling us to do here so we see the deliverance um, of from Egypt army across the Red Sea see that in verse 4 and then that's the mighty hand of God the outstretched arm and then you see the discipline of the Lord in verse 5. So you see these attributes that Moses was talking about in verses uh, 4 and 5. So verse uh, 5 talks about uh, how he had discipline there. And what he did to the army of Egypt. How he made the water uh, flow over and pursue them. How the Lord had destroyed them to this day. And what the Lord did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. The discipline part. So how the Lord disciplined you. So Moses is in essence uh, explaining that discipline that came from the Lord. And then what he did to Dathan and Abiram when the earth opened up and swallowed them up, that was discipline. And it would be pretty scary right there if that happened, right? If you saw the earth open up and swallow somebody, that was in Numbers, the 16th chapter. Oh, by the way, so Israel saw all of this with their own eyes. They saw the discipline of the Lord. And that discipline, of course, was because of the waywardness of their heart. Why does God need to discipline us? Because of the waywardness of our hearts. We're prone to stray. We're prone to forget. We're prone to laziness in our Christian walk. We're prone to slowfulness. All of us are. And so what does God do in his love for us? He disciplines us. Uh, right in Hebrews 12 tells us that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. If we're not disciplined, then we're not children of God. Let's uh, look at that scripture. That's Hebrews 12. Let's look at that right quick. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He did it to Israel. He does it for the elect. He doesn't discipline unbelievers. He punishes them. Twelve and seven. Or twelve and five. So Hebrews 12 and 5 says. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Receives by faith in Jesus Christ. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as what? 
sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respect them. Should we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, those who learn from it. Some people don't learn from discipline. They become more rebellious. They become more obstinate. They become angry when they're disciplined. But we grow if we receive the discipline of the Lord. It is, it is good for us. Some believers, when disciplined by the Lord, they, they begin to apostatize. They say, I, I can't take this anymore. And they depart from the faith. So God disciplined Israel. He disciplined Dathan and Abiram. Swallowing uh, them up and sending the message to the rest of Israel. To not rebel against the Lord. And so considering his attributes. He says. Well, first of all, the eyes had seen all the great work that the Lord uh, ha had done. So they had an eyewitness. They had a front row seat to the mighty acts of God. They saw the works of God. So they had no reason and no cause to uh, reject them at all. So. Now we transition here. He says, you shall therefore. I'm going to read this verses 8 through 12 says you shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I commanded command you today that you be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to the offspring a land flowing with milk and honey for the land that you're entering to take possession is I mean of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and irrigated like a garden of vegetables but the land that you're going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain from heaven a land that the Lord your God cares for the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year until the end of the year we read these next few verses to verse 17 and if you indeed will obey my commands that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He will give rain for you, for your land rather in its season, the early rain, the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. And you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens. So that there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit. And you perish quickly. Off the good land that the Lord is giving you. So. God gives an assessment of the land. But first he gives the word charge to obey and possess. You shall therefore keep back at verse eight. Keep the commandment of God, which I am commanding you today. Now, the possession of the land we see in the second part of that eighth verse requires the strength that comes from obedience. So that you may be strong and go in and possess the land. So why are you to keep the commandments of God so that you may what be strong and go in to possess the land into which you are to cross to possess it. So their strength comes from what? Obedience. Their strength to possess the land, their strength to conquer the Canaanites comes from their obedience to God. 
That's where the strength comes from. The word strength, uh, chazak in Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, I'm bad at Hebrew. It describes something that needs to be repaired or restored or rebuilt. That's what the word strong means in, in Hebrew. It means that if you think about something is, is, is already weak or broken and needs to be repaired. That's, that's, that's what it means. So this is what God is telling them to do. Go in and, 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 and to, to repair, to strengthen. That strength comes from obedience. Them being repaired, them being restored comes from obedience. So basically, when a person gets serious about God's word, it will restore them and rebuild them and strengthen them. That's the principle that we can get from that in our day. When we get serious about God's written word, it restores us. That's why, you know, I, I pray for, you know, when we're doing Bible study, you know, Lord, strengthen us by your word. You know, this is the middle of the week. We pray for the Lord to strengthen us by, we're not here just to learn. We're here to, to be strengthened and, you know, to to be rebuilt. Um, Bible reading helps us to do that. Helps. When I was getting out my vehicle this morning, when I got to work, I listened to a song. I said, Lord, center my thoughts on you for today. You know, even in the midst of my job, what I'm doing, just center center my thoughts on on Christ. I can go back to sleep this morning after being awakened at 1.30. After a while, I said, I'm going to read my Bible. You know, Spirit of the Lord just kept telling me, you know, open your Bible and read. So I, I finally did that, and I read uh, Judges, I think the first chapter, and read some other stuff, and, and was praying about some things. And just asking Lord to strengthen me by his word, strengthen me as I read. And look, God does that because it, I mean, it's a supernatural act. Scripture tells us we have not because we ask not, right? Ask God to strengthen you as you read, read, read the word. Lord, strengthen me by your word. Strengthen, strengthen me by what I'm reading. Rebuild me. Restore me. That was the commitment that God told Israel to make. Obey me. And I will strengthen you so that you may be strong. So as we get serious about the written word, we receive strength. We receive uh, re re rebuilding. We receive that, that spiritual restoration. The word of God revives us. What did Jesus say? And, and we read it here uh, in Deuteronomy a couple of weeks ago that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word, word that proceeds out of the mouth of, uh, mouth of God. That, that word gives us that spiritual bread that we need. And that bread is meant to nourish us, to strengthen us. So if we deprive ourselves of this spiritual bread, we're going to be weakened. Yes, many weak Christians, Christians who feel weak in their walk. And, you know, we have seasons of weakness. We all do. But if we drill down to the root cause, we can just ask one question. How much time do you spend in the word? How much time do you spend to work this week? And it's not justification by works, but because we're justified, we do the works. Because we're saved, we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible in order to be saved or in order to be justified, but we are saved to do those things. So the question we can ask a, a Christian who's perhaps struggling in their walk is, how much time do you spend in the work? How much time do you spend in prayer? When's the last time you just earnestly just read your Bible? Even if it's just a chapter. That's why, you know, with the reading challenge that we're doing, I'm always doing like something that requires like, just one chapter a day. Some people don't have time to do three. So I know sometimes I don't, you know, so I say, okay, I, I could do one chapter a day. Some chapters don't take but five minutes to read or six minutes to read. So um, some may be a little long. May, I only think one takes like 10 minutes, but usually these chapters don't take that long, even in the historical narratives. But we just want to, have that constant steady diet of the word because it it strengthens us. It gives us that strength, that nourishment that we need to go to battle against our enemy, the devil. God fights our battles for us, but we're not weakened by those battles by our adversaries. So God was saying, go in, obey, and you will be strengthened. <clears throat> 
and that you may live long, uh, verse 9. So the prolonging of days is an added benefit. And then the productivity of the land is an added benefit. That you may prolong your days in verse 9. And also it will be very productive. A land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And then God gives a comparison here in verses 10 through 12 between the promised land and the land of Egypt. Showing him that the place where I'm taking you is what? It's better. He says, for the land that you're entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. Think about this. Remember in the wilderness, that other generation, they were saying, oh, have we been back in Egypt? You know, they murmured and complained against the Lord. You know, you brought us out in this desert to die. It would have been better in Egypt. In Egypt, we had leeks and pomegranates and all this stuff. But here we have this manna. You know, I think that's around numbers uh, 14 when they wanted, wanted quail. They wanted something else. And, and God rained down quail as a judgment against them. He told them they were going to eat it until it came out of their nostrils. Because they're like, oh, have we been in Egypt? You know, back, actually right when they came out. Uh, after the Ten Commandments and Moses up in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And they made the golden calf and said, this is who brought us out of Egypt. So they were thinking that it was better back in slavery, back in Egypt, than in the wilderness and going to where God was taking them. So what is God saying here to them? Where you're going is way better than Egypt. Way better. For the land into which you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. So God is telling them, you're going to someplace that is demonstrably better than where you were. That's a sermon all in itself right there. For the land you're entering... I'm sorry, verse 11. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. So it's going to have natural springs. A land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year until the end. So God was promising them, hey, this is something better it is cultivated by the Lord although Egypt belonged to God because the earth is the Lord and the fullness of it the cultivation of that land wasn't going to be the same as where they were going excuse me and again this points us to the gospel Egypt represented sin Egypt represented bondage to sin. Remember the promised land, Canaan represented heaven. So what we see, the promise of heaven is way better than the false promises of Egypt, of sin. Sin promises a type of heaven sin says do it and you'll feel good or sin even says do what makes you feel good that's what sin lies and says right sin sin, your your flesh says oh do it because it feels good you know our world says do what makes you feel good if it feels good to you do it you know, you've seen the old tropes in movies where uh, people are caught up in adultery and they say, oh, this feels so good. I never felt this way before. While they're in the throes of adultery. Or the throes of any type of or sexual immorality. And they'll say, oh, this feels so good. I never felt this way before. 
Why? Because sin is promising you a false heaven. Egypt was a false heaven. They thought they wanted to go back to bondage, but they didn't because it's, it's one of those things when you really think about it, it wasn't that good. Because they were the ones whose cries God heard. God told Moses, I, 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 I've heard the cries of my people. And that's when he told Moses to go down and I tell Pharaoh to let his people go because God heard the cries of his nation as they as they grew and grew over those 400 years. They, they grew to a great nation and, and, and the Egyptians began to be really hard on him. And, and, and the Pharaohs uh, didn't know Joseph like the Pharaoh of Joseph's day did. These, the, these new Pharaohs that came along after him, they didn't know Joseph. They didn't know these people. So they just grew into a great nation. And Israel began to really come down on them as slave masters. They were in bondage. And that's the way sin is. Sin is a cruel slave master. Sin promises heaven. Sin promises heaven on earth. But it's a false heaven. It's a false sensation of 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 goodness a false sensation of a feeling and false sensation of well-being it is a false heaven sin always promises a false heaven and so when we look at this con- contrast between egypt and the promised land we're looking at the the gospel contrast between bondage to sin and the freedom in christ that we will receive the eternal life that we will inherit Nothing on this earth will compare to the joys of heaven. Heaven is the city built by God. Heaven is the city built by God. Just as this promised land, as God said, was what? Cultivated by him. The Lord your God is always on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, as it says in verse 12. There's nothing on this earth that can match the glory of heaven. And to Israel, there's nothing in the promised land that can be matched by what you, what your father saw in Egypt. Egypt ain't got nothing on Canaan. Sin has nothing on heaven. And you will indeed, if you, okay, so we have conditions here. Now, this is the loyalty test that God is, is going to give them. When you see the word if, that means it's conditional. Okay? So Moses presents life in the promised land as a test. With significant consequences. So the land, the promised land, presents two things. Presents two ways. The way of blessing, prosperity, and life. And the way of curse, adversity, and death. Only two ways. One way leads to what? Life. Quality of life. Good quality of life. Blessing, prosperity. Another way leads to curse, adversity, and death. So, if you indeed obey my commands that I command you to love the Lord your God... And to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. He will. What will he do? Give rain for your land this season. The early and latter rain. That you may gather your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass. Notice he would give. He would give. Verse 15. He would give grass. So that's the first thing. So he gives the. The positive first. This is an idyllic uh, picture of this land. If you will indeed obey. So the, the central point of going into the land is obedience. That's the central point for them. Obedience. If you obey. So you have the human response to the test. And then you have the divine evaluation of the test. God is going to evaluate what they do. So 
if they faithfully obey the commands, then, you see then, I will do what? Send rain, both the fall and the spring rains. And then what would be the result? That you would gather grain, new wine, and oil. Then in the result, I will provide grass in your fields for your cattle. And you will eat and be satisfied. It all starts back what? If you faithfully obey the commands that I'm giving you today. We talked about this before when it uh, comes to general principles. First principles. Yeah, the the, the uh, doctrine of the philosophy of first principle. Like, what is most important? What are the basic things, basic principles, basic basic uh, points of importance? One of them is obeying the Lord. That there are blessings that come with obeying God. We, we, talk, we talk about it all the time. You have a better quality of life if you live in obedience to God. Especially, you know, as, as believers we're called to do that. We will have a better quality of life. Just think about people in your life, in my life, relatives, loved ones. And, you know, they may be generally good people. But one, they're not saved. You know, you could be a good person still go to hell. Okay, we know that. But outside of that, those who are not obeying God in, in, in how they live, look at, for the most part, you always have exceptions. But for the most part, look at how their life is. Look at how they are. They're in turmoil. They're, they don't have true joy. We know we got family members like that. Some are probably popping up in our head right now. That they, they're not studying obeying God. They're not even trying to obey God in, in what they do. And they don't have that joy that believers have. Even in the drudgery of life, believers have joy because we know that this world is not it. We still have a better quality of life. So you have the test of faith. If they pass. Rain. They will gather all. God will provide. Now you have what will happen if they fail. Verses 16 and 17. Take care lest you, your heart be deceived. Remember deception always starts in the heart. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. So instead of worshiping God, Yahweh, you worship the pagans, the pagan gods of the Canaanites. Then what will happen? So be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. That's basically what he's saying. And what will be the divine Response: The Lord's anger will burn against you. It will be kindled against you. That means his wrath. So remember, this is again a test. Always remember this. Abundance always brings with it warnings. Remember what God said when you go into this land and you experience all this prosperity? Be careful lest your heart forgets the Lord. We covered that a few chapters ago. When they get into this land, God is blessing them. Be careful lest you do what? Forget the Lord your God. Abundance is always a test. Always. Anytime, you know, we come into some money, as my old folks used to say, it's a test. What's going to happen to our heart? How's our heart going to respond to it? Because remember, God says, lest your heart be deceived. That's a test. Abundance is always a test. 
and is always expressed in terms of the heart. Always. So the deception is basically wrong thinking about these gods. So if you turn aside and serve other gods and worship him, what's going to happen? What is going to be the divine uh, response? The Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain. So as opposed to he will send rain if they obey. Instead, he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. So you see the contrast here. He will shut up the heavens. And the result is that the ground will not do what? Produce. And instead of eating and being satisfied, what will happen instead? They will perish quickly out the good land that the Lord is giving you. So the same God who provides the rain is the same God who can stop the rain. It wasn't Israel and their goodness that caused it to rain on the land. It was God's goodness. The same God who provides the rain is the same God who can stop the rain. Because he's the God of all creation. So we see the passing grade, what happens if they obey. And then what happens if they uh, turn away? First principles. You turn away from God, you won't have good quality of life. You won't be blessed by God if you don't obey God. Many people want the blessings of God without obeying God. Without committing to God. God does through his, his common grace reign on the just as well as the unjust. He blesses the wicked to get uh, wealth. But that's only because he's gracious to all his creation. It's not because of anything they did. But that goodness of God, as Paul said in Romans 2, leads to repentance. Know you not that the goodness of God leads to repentance? That's in Romans 2. Why is God good to the wicked? To lead them to repentance and faith in him. That's why God is good. It's because of his common grace. He's a gracious and giving God. So what does God tell them to do with these words? Verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine where? In your heart. In your heart. And in your soul. That means deep down in you. <laughs> Lay them in your heart. And you shall do what? Bind them as a sign on your hand. That's basically a public representation of God's truth. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. Uh, we saw this in Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them to your children. Talk to them when you're sitting in your house. When you're walking by the way. When you lie down and when you rise, that's a reminder of what we read in Deuteronomy 6, the same thing. God is just reminding them. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this command, all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your feet treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. So God promised them victory and conquest in the land if they do what? Lay these words in their hearts and their souls. Bind them on their hands. That means publicly represent him. And then persistently teach that truth. And display his truth. His truth being on display in us. We are the salt of the earth. 
we are the light of the world. That's one way we proclaim gospel truth. We, we publicly represent it. We teach it to others, teach the believers, teach to our children, grandchildren. We teach that truth. Look, whether they receive it or not, it's not our problem. As Charles Stanley famously said, obey God and leave the consequences to him. Our children may rebel when they hear the truth. Our grandchildren may rebel. Nieces and nephews, relatives, family members, friends, co-workers. We still proclaim it to them. The reason why some people resist the truth because they don't want to hear it. Because they know it's true. People don't want to hear the truth. But that should not stop us from proclaiming it. So God is telling them, you do all this, your days will be multiplied. You will conquer this land. That's the victory that they will uh, receive. So the extent of their conquest will be measured by the amount of territory on which they, they trod. And we, you know, reading the book of Joshua, we saw those uh, chapters where all the land was distributed to all the different tribes. So God gave them that land that they uh, that he had promised them. He says, no one, verse 25, should be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. Man, that is such a, a great blessing in obeying the Lord. They had great incentive to do that. So, with all that being said, God lays out the case before them about obeying him and what will happen and not obeying him and what will happen. So now we see these last few verses summing up its decision time. Think about Joshua's speech in Joshua 24. Uh, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He told him, do what? Choose this day whom you will serve. And that what Joshua said in Joshua 24? For those who are reading along with me, he said this in his, his final, his basically farewell address to his people. I think I sent the text out about that this morning or yesterday, one. Joshua 24. He just lays it out before them. Verse 14, 24. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods. Excuse me. Did your father serve beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord? And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you would dwell. But as for me and my house, we would serve the Lord. So Joshua made his choice. He said to Israel, do what? You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to make the choice. We see this also in First uh, Kings. Let's turn to that. When Elijah was going up against the 400 prophets of Baal. I think it's about 1 Kings 18 or 19. I think it's 8. 1 Kings, I think it's 18 and 19. In Mount Carmel, when he was going up against the 400 prophets of Baal. Okay, yeah, 18. Elijah confronted uh, Ahab. So. Let's see here. I'm trying to find out what that verse is. Okay, here it is. Uh, verse 22. 
450 privates. Okay. Call upon the name of the Lord. I will call upon the name of my Lord. Okay, this is well spoken. Okay, I think it's uh, 18, 21, 22. Here he is. 18 and 21. Well, 20 says Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? I think the King James says halt between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal or Baal, as it is in Hebrew, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So Elijah told these people to make a choice. And then, of course, after those 450 prophets, you know, did their sacrifice and it didn't work. Elijah did his and God destroyed all those prophets. If you look down here at verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then God slew all those prophets of Ahab. And that's when uh, Jezebel had uh, went after him. And he, and he escaped. But the point of it is Elijah, the prophet, called Israel to the same thing. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the prophets of Baal or Baal? Who are you going to serve? You got to make a choice. Joshua, same thing. Either you're going to serve the gods of this, the, the Amorites or you're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we see here in Deuteronomy the same thing. Verse 26. See, I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after the other gods. And when the Lord your God brings you to the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan west of the road toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in Araba opposite Gilgal beside the Oak of Moray? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to possess, take possession of the land Lord your God has given you and when you possess it and live in you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today so God gives them a choice they have two options cursing or blessing he is setting before them this day those things the possibilities of life or death The possibility of fruitfulness or barrenness. So what does this mean for us today as we get ready to close? God has set before every man a choice. You either choose Christ, which leads to eternal life, or you choose Satan, which leads to eternal damnation. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. Either you're a child of darkness or you're a child of the light. Either you're a child of the kingdom of God or you're a child of the kingdom of Satan. There are only two types of people in this world. Either they belong to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the devil, of Satan, where Satan is their master. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, you are of your father, the devil. There are two fathers. You have Satan, who's the father of those who are not in Christ. And you have God the Father who is God of all those who are in Christ. It's no in between. People say, yeah, I'm a child of God. How? Are you a child of God by faith? Remember, everybody's not a child of God. We're all created by God, created in the image of God, but we're not all children of God. Only those who are in Christ are God's children and can rightly call God Father. But those who are not in Christ cannot call God Father. So we must remember that. There's a choice person is not in Christ they're bound for hell but Christ is gracious to forgive all who come to him and call all they have to do is simply call out to the Lord Lord save me 
Ain't got to do all no complications and, 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 and whatnot. Lord, save me. Lord, I'm lost. Save me. And when they cry out for the Lord to save them, guess what? He will graciously save them. But if you choose the other path, the path that leads to eternal destruction, it's not going to end well. So the choice is there. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word gives us a choice. We all have to choose. Lord, either we're going to worship you or we're going to worship Satan. There's no in between. I pray for those who are not in you, Father, who hear this. That they call out to you to save them. And I pray for all believers Lord. That you. Strengthen us. And Lord as we learned earlier. Help us Lord. Cultivating us a desire for your word. To, to be strengthened by your word. To be encouraged by your word. Those of us. Who are slacking our Bible reading Lord. Help us to, to be more intentional about your word to commit to reading your word and also Lord to commit to obeying you we don't obey you in order to be saved Lord we obey you because we're saved because we we love you and there's blessings that come with that Lord Lord thank you for your word tonight until we meet on Lord's day may you strengthen us and encourage us by your spirit until we meet again in Christ's name, amen.